0: So as we get into today's teaching, I wonder if you've ever heard of Richard and Sabina. Uh, I'm going to try to say their last name the best I can. Uh, Wormbrand, Richard Wormbrand. Uh, he was born in 1909 in uh, Bucharest, Romania, the youngest of four boys in a Jewish family. Uh, he, he had tremendous intellect. In fact, he was fluent in nine languages. In 1936, Richard married Sabina, who was also Jewish. And then just a couple years later, through the witness of a carpenter, they came to put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah. And Richard felt a call to Christian ministry. And so he was ordained in ministry in the Anglican Church and then the Lutheran Church. And just about that time was when World War II broke out. And they began preaching in bomb shelters and rescuing Jewish kids from the ghettos there. And they were they were arrested. They were beaten. Their lives were, were threatened repeatedly. Sabina's family were killed by the Nazis in a concentration camp. Uh, and then in 1945, the Russians moved into Romania and, and set up power and, and also took over the church. And by took over, if, if you wanted to, to worship, you had to go what they called underground into secret meeting places. And, and Richard began an underground ministry to the oppressed believers, as well as to the Russian soldiers who were occupying Romania at that time. And, and so along with when Russia came in, they had a, a gathering of the churches, a council of the, of the churches that was, was hosted by the Romanian communist government. And basically it was a uh, propaganda event where many religious leaders, many Christian leaders came up and, and they pledged their allegiance to the communist regime, to the new regime, the new power. And and Richard and Sabina were there. And Richard recounts that Sabina said to him, Richard, stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. And he said uh, to her, if I do so, you lose your husband. And she replied, I don't wish to have a coward for a husband she was fiery. She was fiery. And so Richard walked to the podium, and he declared in front of the delegates, and it was broadcast nationwide, that his only allegiance and, and the believers, their only allegiance should be to Christ. Well, that didn't get him off on the, on the right foot there with the, uh, the, the communists. But for the next two years, Richard began distributing copies of the gospel. Many times they were uh, hidden in, in communist propaganda. He just Covered it, so it looked like communist propaganda, but when he opened it, it was the gospel. He helped smuggle those same gospel uh, copies into Russia as well. But in 1948, he was arrested, and Sabina was arrested. And she, for three years, worked as a slave laborer. And for three years, Richard was in solitary confinement. And then he was moved to a group cell, and for five more years was tortured. And in his solitary confinement, for three years, he was in, in a cell that was 12 feet underground, no windows, no light, no sound. In fact, even the, the guards, they put felt on the on their bottom of their shoes so that when they walked down the hall, you wouldn't know they were coming. They wouldn't make a sound. Uh, and he, he later recounted that he maintained his sanity by sleeping during the day, staying up all night and, and, and making a sermon and then preaching the, the sermon to himself. And he, he had to do it at night so the guards would not hear him and continue to to beat him. So for for three years, um, he was in solitary confinement, and in his imprisonment, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he later wrote about it in uh, in several books. But one that's kind of the, the most famous is called "Tortured for Christ." Tortured for Christ, uh, and he he recounts just a little bit of, of what happened, and and what he said. of of the imprisonment and and what they went through is that Christians were hung upside down on ropes and beaten so severely that their bodies swung back and forth under the blows. Christians were also placed in icebox refrigerators, which were so cold that frost and ice covered the inside. I was thrown into one while I had very little clothing on. Prison doctors would watch through an opening until they saw symptoms of freezing to death. Then they would give a signal. The guards would rush in and take us out and warm us up. When we were finally warmed, we would immediately be put back in the icebox cells to freeze, thawing out, then freezing to within minutes of death, then thawed out over and over again. Even today, he says, there are times when I can't bear to open a refrigerator. We Christians were sometimes forced to stand in wooden boxes. So imagine a wooden box, only slightly larger than we were. This left no room to move. And dozens of sharp nails were driven into every side of the box with their razor-sharp points sticking through the wood. While we stood perfectly still, it was all right. But we were forced to stand in these boxes for endless hours. And when we became fatigued and swayed with tiredness, the nails would, would pierce our bodies if we moved or twitched a muscle. They were horrible nails. And what the communists have done to Christians surpasses any possibility of human understanding. And so his body, even after he was out of prison, bore the marks, bore the scars of his his torture. Well, in 1956, he was released, and he was told, do not preach Jesus. Richard continued to preach Jesus, and three years later was arrested again and sentenced to 25 more years in prison. Uh, And, I mean, you would would think that Richard and, and others... Like they would learn their lesson. Like it, just, just be quiet. Just stop telling people about Jesus, Richard. That, that's all you have to do. No more beatings. No more prison. And Richard, another place in the book, he says, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. That's, that's crazy. right? That, that is, we preached, they beat us. We were happy preaching, and they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Richard, he didn't have to serve the 25-year term. He was released, uh, spent a total of 14 years in, in prison. And then he and Sabina started a ministry called, um, oh, I, I know what it is, I've, I just blanked here, uh, The Voice of the Martyrs. started The Voice of the Martyrs, which is, is a ministry that served the persecuted church around the world. Especially if a family member was in prison, they could come alongside and provide uh, resources for the, the family that was, was not in prison. Um, and, and through that all, like Richard never—he never got bitter towards his captors, towards those who... Uh, were just relentlessly torturing him. And he would say, and his message was, hate the evil systems, but love your persecutors. Hate the evil systems, but love your persecutors, love their souls and try to win them for Christ. And, and so he even says, you never know that that, that guard, that, um, that person who's beating you may be the next Apostle Paul. Those, those were his words. That was his outlook while he was in prison. So you can, you can check out the, that book. Uh, there's also a, a movie by the same name. It's free. It's online. It's about an hour long. I'll put a link there in the comments. Uh, but he was just one of countless Christians who, who he was imprisoned with. He tells about their stories as well. Uh, it's just difficult to fathom. And, it, and, it's, and it's astonishing that they continued in their faith. It, in the worst circumstances possible. Like their, their faith, I'm, I'm sure there was times when they questioned. I'm sure there were times where um, like they wanted to be like, all right, I'm, you, you win. you win. I mean, there, were, there was times, uh, Richard talks in the book, where they just uh, talked about, uh, they had a, over the loudspeakers all day long. Communism is good. Communism is good. Commun-, just trying to, to brainwash them. Uh, and he talks about the, the beauty of the of the underground church. He talks about the, the beauty of, of the persecuted church. And he says, you know, we didn't have cathedrals, but we'd go out into the forest and look up into the stars, and that was our cathedral. Uh, he talked about we didn't have an organ, but we could hear, hear the birds singing their praises to God. And then uh, after talking about the, the church, he says there were Christians that were, were caught and sent to prison right, right as they were leaving these, these secret services of theirs. And of them, he said, that they, the Christians, they wear chains with gladness. They wear chains with gladness. With which a bride wears a precious jewel received from her beloved. They received Jesus' kiss and his embraces and would not change places with kings. I have found truly joyful Christians. Now listen to this. This, this, this is Richard. Again, 14 years in prison, tortured. I have found truly joyful Joyful Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. Like what what does that say of of us? Uh, and, and I've taken a bit more time here in introduction than I normally would, and and partly be, because like what Richard was going through um, and being in prison isn't too different than what Paul was experiencing in his trials when he writes this New Testament letter of Philippians, this letter that we are are currently studying. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 12. Um, And so the author, Paul, he's he's in prison. He's awaiting his trial. And like Richard, he he endures his trial, his imprisonment, with just uncommon resolve an uncommon joy. Joy, we're like, when I look at their circumstances, and I look at my circumstances, and I look at their responses, and I look at at my responses, they don't seem to to match up. And so as we we go through this this study, and as I was studying this week, like to see Paul's response, it just, it was, I'd say like a slap in the face, but it's more than like a punch in, in the gut. So let's start, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What, what's Paul talking about? What has happened to him? Well, he's, he's in prison, so that's what he's talking about. What has happened to me, this imprisonment, has served to advance the gospel. He says, like, I know your word for me, but listen, there, there's some good that has come out of this. Verse 13, it says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul sees everything that happens to him in light of the gospel. That's Paul's frame of reference. Everything that happens to him, he sees it in light of the gospel, even even the bad stuff, even the unpleasant stuff. He's always asking, how is this advancing the gospel? How is what I'm going through right now going to advance the gospel? And even when his life circumstances are, they're beyond his control. Like, Paul has no control of his life. He has no control of what's happening around him. Uh, And and sometimes life is like that. I don't don't know what situations that you find yourself in. We all are in the the big picture in the pandemic. Um, No, we can't control that. But then there's other things like, in your personal life that you're experiencing, maybe as a result of the pandemic, maybe as a result of family issues or job things that are going on, like you have no control over. How, how are you viewing those circumstances? And Paul, he's not, he's not just making the best of his circumstances. He's actually turning them into and around for the glory of God. His circumstances, which are no good. Like they're, they're terrible. He's turning them for the glory of God. I mean, think, so Paul, he, he says all, all of the, so in verse, uh, in verse 12, he says, uh, well, it's actually verse 13, he says the whole palace guard knows. But Paul would have no access to the palace guard in Rome if he wasn't in prison. Right? That wouldn't have been his plan, but he's there. And, and he is uh, making the, the most of that, that situation. Um, now, evangelism, even, even that term, it makes, it makes us a bit nervous. I mean, especially in our culture that is, is so big on tolerance, the only thing that is intolerable is when you start to proselytize. So evangelism, it, it, you know, it, it gets us it's nervous. But when you, you think about it, when we think about Paul, Paul was not telling people about Jesus because he has some deep psychological need to be right and, and to to convince others to his arguments, no no, no, the good news for Paul was that Jesus had had come into the world to to fix this, this broken world like it was it was the only answer it was the only good news and then um, now we don't know if all the guard believed the Roman guard believed, uh, but they all heard and and we we know. As Paul writes, he mentioned several times about being in chains. And it it was a pretty standard practice to be actually chained to the guard. And they would be chained for about four hours a day. Then a new guard would come in. Paul would be chained to that guard for four hours. And so they think that that he is their captive. But to Paul, (laughs) they're his captives. And for four hours, he can tell them about the story of God and how King Jesus has come into the world and has conquered the world, not by rising to power, but by giving up power, going to the cross. And so Paul has this very captive audience. He wastes, and can you just imagine? Being, I mean, Paul is, is the, the greatest uh, preacher in, in history, outside of Christ, the, the greatest persuader of the faith. And for four hours, he is... He's telling these Roman guards about Christ. He's praying. He's praying for the Philippians. He's praying for these other churches. And so that Paul's able to say, they've all heard. They all know. And then he says, everyone else has heard as well. Uh, So Paul, he is not wasting time. And and it's almost like Paul has a bit of delight in in what's happening. Because he has been uh, imprisoned by Rome for the gospel. And while he's imprisoned by Rome, The gospel is continuing to advance, and he'll later say in Philippians chapter 4, he'll send greetings. He says, everybody here and everybody in Caesar's household, the believers in Caesar's household, also send you greetings. And so people in Caesar's household were coming to faith because Paul was in prison. And so the same God who, in the Old Testament, he used Moses' rod He used Gideon's pictures. He used David's slings and is now using Paul's chains to advance the gospel. And I wonder how God wants to use the pandemic to advance the gospel through us. How God wants to use the pandemic to to advance the gospel through us as as the Hills Church. And and whatever your current circumstance, I wonder how God wants to use that to advance the gospel. And, and so Paul is saying, listen, I have thrown in prison, and everybody here in the prison, everybody around has heard. But not only that, everybody outside is, is now beginning to hear because the Christians who were afraid, who were living in Rome, the, Nero was the emperor at this time, and he was losing his mind. And in just a few years' time, he is going to uh, begin to, to try to wipe out the church. And so the, you can understand their apprehension, sharing their faith. But when they see Paul in prison, sharing his faith, when they see what's happening, they are given courage to do the same. And Paul doesn't care. He's like, I'm sharing about Christ. They're sharing about Christ. It doesn't have to, it's like, I just want Christ to be shared. Uh, One of my favorite uh, pastimes, my favorite hobbies is mountain biking. I love mountain biking. In fact, if you are ever in the mountains hiking or, or biking yourself, and if you hear somebody singing or whistling, there is a good chance that I'm not far away on a mountain bike because uh, I, I enjoy it so much. A good climb. I like a fast, steep descent. And uh, now, I occasionally run as well, and I have never once broken into song while I was singing. And, and if you if you know someone who has, you should probably get them some help, you know? Running is not the, not the same, but mountain biking. And I, I love mountain biking. And in, in my uh, 13 years of riding in Colorado, I've only crashed once to where I ended up in the hospital. That's, that's a whole another story. But after I crashed, I got just a bit more hesitant. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a bit more <laughs> hesitant because... I'm, you're just wiser. I've, I've fallen. I've experienced some of the pain of, of crashing. And I know what they call a uh, spring chicken. It's right? <laughs> just starting to turn white. So I've got to start to take it, take it easy. Um, but if, if I've been on a trail multiple times, like, and I've got it figured out, I'm, I'm going quick. But if I'm on a trail for the first time, and I'm coming up to something that looks a little sketchy, maybe there's a rock coming or a spot where it looks like I'm going to be going. Uh, like I'm not one of these guys that's going off catching a bunch of air like that kind of ride. So I'm a bit hesitant. Uh, and sometimes we'll, leave, we'll even get off the bike, make sure no one's watching first, you know, I'm going to and then walk the bike. But if I have someone riding with me that's been on the trail before, that's a good rider, and, and I'm coming right behind them and I see them come up on something that by myself I wouldn't do, but I see them go over it. If I see them do it, then I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can follow right. No, no hesitation. I, I get my confidence from them. And what Paul is saying is that the, the Christians in Rome were getting their confidence from him. And sometimes, as believers, we, or maybe have you ever been around uh, a Jesus follower who is just so uh, like contagious with their faith? Like everywhere they go, everybody knows. Not, not in a, a weird like crazy way, but just like, man, this person loves Jesus. Jesus has changed their lives, and everyone knows it. And like when I'm around that type of person, it, it makes me want to be that same way with my faith. And so I wonder who at the Hills Church, who's going to step up and set that example? It, and who, the rest of us should follow that example, but, but some of us need to step up and set that example. Um... Paul will later, a few verses later, uh, Philippians four eighteen will say, uh, what does it matter? The important thing that is in every way Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So Paul isn't joyful because of the imprisonment. Um, his joy stems from the perspective that God is at work through his circumstances. God is at work through his circumstances. And it would be easy to dismiss Paul's words as simply putting the best face on a bad situation. Just, just he's just smiling. That's not what it's it's saying. And I don't think that's what's happening. And so I just want to briefly conclude uh, with what I think helped Paul in in this moment. Um, And I think what can make a difference for us when we face difficult situations as well. And the first is that he saw everything from a divine perspective. He saw everything from a divine perspective, and not wishful thinking, but he had a deep conviction that God was setting the world to rights in the death and resurrection of Jesus and that he was part of that. And it was the same with Richard uh, Wormbrand. And, and this was Richard's words. He said, even the best of Christians are troubled by the question, why does an almighty God send or at least allow suffering? When you are nagged by thoughts like this, say to yourself, I am still in elementary school. When I graduate from the university of Christian life, I will understand his ways better and doubts will cease. And so for Paul, Paul wasn't looking through life through rose-colored glasses, but he was looking through blood-stained glasses, the blood of the cross. He was looking at life through Calvary, and that changed everything for Paul, and it can change everything for us. When when we're going through things that may not make sense. Like to know, to have to step back and to have a divine perspective. Second, Paul was a man of singular passion. we to dive into that more next week. And third, Paul understands that discipleship is about taking up cross, taking up your cross and following Jesus. And, and when we follow Jesus, sometimes we participate in the sufferings of Christ and we are poured out like a drink offering. We're going to talk about that in a, in a few weeks as we continue through Philippians. So I just want to leave you with this, that there is no greater purpose in life than to live for Christ. So is, is he your king? Have you given him your allegiance? Have you, do you see life through those blood-stained Glasses, the blood of Christ, the blood that was shed for you and for me and for all peoples, all nations, at all times. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those bright, shining stars in the faith who have gone before us the Richard and Sabina Wormbrands, the the Pauls, the, the others who have been tortured, they've been imprisoned for their faith, and came through the other side, and and for those who did not. And I pray that, that we would have that same outlook, that even when our circumstances are beyond our control, we would step back and say, how is God using this for his purposes? How is the gospel advancing in these circumstances? So God, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the ability to have joy and resolve even in the midst of our struggles? It's in your name I pray, amen.